Welcome. We are in the Gospel of John, chapter 18. So if you'd like to turn there, uh, the past couple of weeks we stayed on one verse, and now today we're going to do like a hundred verses. So it's either feast or famine here. So I'm going to read this. The Gospel of John is often referred to as the Gospel of Irony or the Gospel of Contrast. Um, There's been books written on that. So as I'm reading this, I want you to try to to, to keep that into your mind. So we're going to start with verse 12. And again, this is uh, the beginning of the beginning, really. The beginning of the end. Jesus is about to go to the cross in a few hours or the next morning. And um, he has just been betrayed by Judas. And uh, Peter had pulled his sword out. Jesus said, do not do that. I need to drink the cup that my father had given me, has given me. And now the arrest. So verse 12. So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. We remember that, I believe it was back in chapter 10. Verse 15, Simon Peter, the apostle, was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now, that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper. He had a guy. And he spoke to him and he brought Peter in. He got Peter uh, <clears throat> into the, that uh, court in the temple area. Verse 17. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now, the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. Now we go to verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teachings. Or teaching, Jesus answered and said, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple, where all the Jews come together. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard uh, what I spoke to them. They know what I said. Verse 22, when he had said this, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus, saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him and said, if I'd spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Anna sent him back, I'm sorry, sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And we'll tell you the difference between Caiaphas and Annas in a little bit. Now we get to verse 25, and we'll end at 27. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately the rooster crowed. Now, in the email that we sent out, I recommended that you read some of the other uh, passages uh, in the Synoptic Gospels. <clears throat> but since nobody reads my emails, I'm sure that nobody has done that. Just kidding. I know you all have done it. 
you all got up early and you looked at all those other verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But what's unique about John, you see, again, John is doing a technique which is known as cross-cutting. I don't know if you've ever heard that technique. In, uh, In the world of film, it's a technique that switches back and forth between two or more scenes. And it can serve many purposes. For one, it can give the impression that the action that's happening is happening simultaneously but in different locations. It's unfolding at the same moment. This is also known as parallel editing. But secondly, cross-cutting allows the filmmaker or the storyteller in this case to increase the intensity and the drama of the story by jumping back and forth between two usually merging storylines. Now, one example is the famous cross-cutting scene at the end of the Christian classic film, The Godfather. In less than a few minutes' time, Francis Coppola, the director, cuts back and forth between Michael Corleone's hired hitmen in various places, taking out his enemies, all the while cross-cutting back to Michael, and I know none of you have saw this movie, but try to imagine it, cross-cutting back to Michael as he ironically stands in a Roman Catholic church as the godfather of his sister's baby. Now, the cross-cut is between the baptism where Michael is standing as godfather, but the unique thing is Michael stands there, he's renouncing Satan and all of Satan's works, That's what he's saying to the priest. While this series of brutal murders is being carried out by the people he hired to do this. It's this irony there. So in this chapter, the Apostle John uses this very similar technique to begin showing us the murder of Jesus Christ. In doing so, John not only increases the intensity and the climax of the arrest, but he also shows this dramatic irony between the betrayed and the betrayer. And this really started at the beginning of the chapter with Judas. Or in other words, the faithful and the faithless. We have the Jews, the unfaithful people of the one true God, deceitfully accusing the Son of God himself. John cross-cuts this with Peter's outright denial of even knowing Christ when just a few hours earlier, Peter was what? I give you my dying allegiance. You see, in this chapter, not unlike Judas, who at the beginning of the passage, he deliberately betrays Jesus to his captors. Peter and everyone else in the passage, they do the same thing. And who is standing there alone in the scene? the faithful witness. I believe the difference between Jesus's faithful witness versus the unfaithful witness of those around him is what John is trying to show us here. That's why he's, I believe he wrote what he wrote and left out with what the other writers really go into. But when you piece it all together and you take the synoptic accounts and you place them in with this account, it really starts to pop. And so I may refer back and forth to that, but at first I want to show you, I'm going to go back through this, these verses, 
the faithfulness of Jesus versus the faithfulness of the others. And the first one that we come to right here in verse 12 to 14 is the faithfulness of Jesus in contrast with the unfaithful high priest. So we know that Jesus, excuse me, Jesus is our ultimate faithful high priest. And that we have sitting here in this court an unfaithful high priest, the highest officer, the one that goes into the holies of holies, holies once a year to present offerings to the man that's sitting in front of him is being unfaithful. Now, <clears throat> the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers, verse 12, <clears throat> uh, the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Now, when you look back through this and you look at the history here, Annas was the high priest around AD 7. He became a high priest. But once you're a high priest, sort of like once you're a president, people will still say, hey, Mr. President, how are you doing? Whatever the case may be. They still respected Annas as the high priest. As a matter of fact, he was their main contact with Rome. Annas, the high priest, even though he had passed on his duties to to several others by this point, he had just elected Caiaphas, his son-in-law, to be the high priest. Now, he had a couple other sons that were high priests after him, and the Romans really liked him because he understood how the game was played. He knew that if Jesus was, if this, all this stuff is going on, especially during Passover, when the Romans were ready for re- rebellion and revolution, because it, it would often happen during that gathering, <clears throat> he knew that if anything happened, Rome would come and take away their place. So that's what Caiaphas said. Back in John 11, it was, I thought it was 10, 48 to 50. If we let him go on like this, all the people will believe in him and what? The Romans will come and take over both our place and our nation. So they were like waiting. We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school. I guess you could call them, oh, they were very corrupt. But if someone were to say to them, well, what's going on here? Don't you, you know, Jews are supposed to be the light of the world. You guys are supposed to be here in Jerusalem, not reigning underneath these worldly conquerors. Rome or Caesar, there's no king but God. That was the mantra of the Jewish zealots. There's no king but God. We have to get this, we have to get this out of here. But Caiaphas said, look, it's better for one person to die than the whole nation to perish. Why did he say that? Why didn't he say, well, maybe this is the Messiah? Why didn't he say, well, you know what? <clears throat> This is our opportunity. Maybe God's sending. Maybe God's doing something here. No, no, no. I guess they were progressives in the fact that they said, you know what? Let's just sort of, we're going we're gonna to join up with Rome. We're going to do what they say. They're going to let us keep the law. They're going to let us do our worship. We don't have to bow down to Caesar. And guess what? They got paid big time. The average high priest was about, was, a, was in our, if we transferred the money, he was a millionaire. He took payment and collection from everything. Remember, we talked about all the business that was going on in the temple when Jesus went in and flipped the tables. That's why he did that. He says, you've made my father's house a place of business. And that's what they were hanging on to. 
The irony of this is that this high priest brought Jesus in to what they call um, the court of the high priest. We're going to talk about that in a second. But in the middle of the court of the high priest, does anybody know what sat there? The altar. So Jesus is standing there being interrogated by the high priest. That high priest sacrifices and makes atonement for sin on that altar. And Jesus, the faithful witness, is basically standing there staring at the institution that he implemented to mirror what goes on in the, heavenly, in the heavens where he commanded his people to make that atonement and make that sacrifice and offer these, do these ceremonies so you will know how holy I am. And he is the one that received all that. He is the one that approved of all that. Now he is the one that is going to lay on that altar. So think about that picture. Think about that. The faithful witness is staring at the electric chair. He is not trying to back out. He is not denying. He is facing the altar. And I believe for us to be a faithful witness, this is the same thing we have to do. And we talked about the cup. It's much not unsimilar to that. What is the altar in your life right now that you are facing? You know you have to go on to it. You know you have to either lay it something on that altar and burn it up. Or maybe it's you yourself. Maybe you're not even sure if you are a Christian. Well, guess what? Jesus said that if you want to follow me, you must die daily. Pick up your cross daily. Go to that altar daily. He doesn't remove the altar from your life. No, he puts it there because things, thoughts, ideas, and even people have to be placed upon that figuratively. And all, every one of us has that. <clears throat> now, the, the high priest was an imposter. He was an imposter. Let's not be that way. Jesus is our example. Jesus is the faithful high priest. Now, verses 15 to 24. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest, and he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. So we have Simon Peter following, and then there was this other disciple, which most commentators and Bible scholars think was John. But John usually refers himself to himself as the one Jesus loved. He doesn't, he doesn't do that here. So people say, well, it could have been any disciple. It could have been Jesus had disciples all over the place. I, think, I like to think about it as being John because he knew the high priest. His, John's father was a very wealthy guy, Zebedee. Remember? He owned his own fishing business. And so chances are that John's father, Zebedee, was also very familiar with who the high priest was and probably even had to pay him off and, as part of his business. Or maybe he brought him fish. Who knows? We, you know, who, we could speculate all day long. 
So I believe that John knew him, got him in, or John could have been so young that maybe they just allowed him in or whatever. There's a bunch of different uh, things on there. I believe it was John. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest, he went out, he spoke to the doorkeeper, the slave girl lets him in, and, and then Peter denies him. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there having made a fire and they were warming themselves. So here we have the faithfulness of Jesus in contrast with the faithlessness of the Jews. Now, when I say Jews, I mean the leaders. You see, the court of the high priest had 23 other priests there as well. And when they were making a, a, um, a, a judgment on somebody, the 23 high priests would be um, summoned there would be an official hearing. The witness would be able to speak. The witness would be able to be defended. The high priest would then take some time. They weren't allowed to immediately put anybody to death or anything like that. And then they would make their verdict. This is, the, this is what God commanded his people to do in order to rule rightly and righteously. Is that what happened here? No. You see, these 23 ruling priests were not summoned. It was just Annas, and he really wasn't even the high priest. He was high priest emeritus, so he was the one that was there, and um, he was the, the influencer, but there was not an official court. This was a corrupt trial. They were pushing this through. Court was never allowed to take place at night. It had to be during the day. We see a corrupt trial. We see breaking the law. We see lying. We see bearing false witness. And we see Jesus, God in the flesh, being punched and slapped in the face by his people. And we are those types of people, aren't we? It's amazing because we say, I would never do that. How could I strike Jesus? But we do do that when we willfully sin against him. When we put Jesus aside for our own benefit. When we put Jesus aside for our own will. We, 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 we give him that little slap. Don't you know you're talking to the high priest? Jesus could have said, no, I'm not talking to myself. Jesus was the high priest. He didn't say anything, did he? He literally just, he, 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 he said right here, I've, taught, I've spoken openly to you when the high priest questioned him. I taught in the synagogues. I taught in the temple where all the Jews come together. I didn't speak anything in secret. He's not talking like a prideful, demented. He's not telling them off. Jesus is saying, why do you question me? Question those that hurt what I said. They know what I said. Well, I'm not trying to hide anything here. Uh, the, the witness that you're saying, you're bringing in false witnesses, that's, that's not what I said, and bam, he gets slapped. Now that's also against the law. That's against the, the, the Torah. You can't do that, and you can't even do that during a trial. I mean, it's so absolutely corrupt. But what were the Jews' problem? Paul, well, see, <clears throat> Paul says here in Romans 2, 28 to 29, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, 
nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, not by, you don't get a new heart, you don't get that flesh cut by following the law, by following the Torah. Nope, the spirit has to do that. These people were not converted. They've gotten, and this is the charge against the Jews. They were the people of God. They were the ones where the law and the prophets came through. They were the unique people that were supposed to be the light of the world. They were delivered from bondage. Their God would wipe people out for them. And they let that come between them and God. They were... They, they, they grabbed onto their identity as opposed to grabbing onto God himself. They grabbed onto their national identity. We're the people of God. You're not. You're a Gentile dog. Get away from me. See, then they wrote all of these commentaries on the law and they tried to follow that. And they made that supersede the law. <clears throat> we do the same thing. I can't tell you how many things that I will probably regret when I stand before the Lord, especially when I first became a Christian, especially when I first started learning theology. I thought everybody that doesn't believe and, and, and do and worship just like me is just not saved. Yeah, I was very Calvinistic. You don't serve, we serve different gods. <clears throat> And I'm not saying, I'm not pushing for any, either one. I'm just telling you my story. If you didn't evangelize, you were probably not saved. If I met you and uh, you were a Christian, I didn't believe it. Because you didn't, whatever. I was nitpicky, right? I was so caught up in my clique of ministry. I was so caught up in my denomination or trying to be like all the old guy, all the old uh, you know, prophets and, and, and preachers of the past. And, uh, and so if you weren't a reformed guy, then you just, weren't, you just haven't reached that level of spirituality yet. But maybe you'll get there, maybe you won't. That was, that's what the Jews were doing. They were, they were putting Jesus and slapping Jesus around and they were not being the people of God. They were putting their... There's all the theology is great. Don't, don't get me wrong. We need to learn theology, but we have to understand Jesus Christ. Paul says, what counts? New creation. Being the new creation, God, that's where it all begins. If you're not converted and you're not a new creation, who cares what your theology is about? If you are a new creation and God wants you to learn, he will put that in front of you. He will lead it to you and you will come there. But that shouldn't alter the way that I treat you. Unless you're going to be a total heretic, then I'll sit down and talk to you about it. Or if you're in error, I want, I, when I'm in error, and, and I am many times, you know, you can come up and, you and, and people come and they tell me. And it's not just Wayne either. Well, it's mostly just Wayne. 
But no, I'm just kidding, Wayne. I'm just poking at you. I love when, it, when, when, when Wayne does because Wayne, and I'm just say, using him as an example, many brothers and sisters do, but I love it because it shows that you care about me. You're not judging me. You're saying, hey, this, is that right? Is this right? Maybe you should add this. Maybe you should took away that. And you know what? It's the love of Christ that unites us here. That's what these people were missing. They put their identity, their Jewishness, they put their nationality, they put their nationalism, they put their law and all the pride that they had with God rescuing them and they were expecting him to come again and he's sitting right in their face and they let all of that make them miss the son of God sitting right in front of them. We must not do that. To be a faithful witness, our identity must be in Christ alone or God alone. As See, Jesus' identity is in God. He, he's interchangeably always talking about the Father and Him. They think the same thoughts. They do the same things. It's not two different things going on here, and that's how God wants us to be. He doesn't want us to become prideful. He doesn't want us to become complacent or mechanical in our religion. And I say religion as categorically. I don't mean doing works. He doesn't want us to be prideful, complacent, or mechanical in our faith. He wants us to, to, he wants our hearts to be mended with Christ's heart. And we do that by simply coming to Christ and, and, and acknowledging our sin and acknowledging our weaknesses and acknowledging that we don't have all the answers. So that way, when Jesus is standing right in front of us, we'll recognize him. We'll know. We won't be shunning him out in, to save our theology or our church, our doctrine, all that stuff. It's all good. But when it comes before Christ, it becomes bad. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> the third and final contrast here, to me, is, 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 is really the most obvious the faithful witness of Jesus in contrast with Peter. <clears throat> you see in verse 25 to 27, he outright denied Jesus three times and then the rooster crowed. Now, I, I am not um, a rural guy. I don't know. I live in a rural area, but just because I wanted to get, I grew up um, in an urban area. So I've always said when I, grow, when I get a house, I, I want to live out in the, no, I live in the middle of nowhere, right? So I don't know. I never knew why roosters crowed. All I remember is when I moved to my house, the first thing my neighbor said to me, he goes, you're not going to get a rooster, are you? Remember when Dave said that to us? I said, a rooster? No, I wouldn't even know what to do with a rooster. You know, I don't even, didn't even know the difference, but like what a rooster was, what a chicken was, and all that other stuff. He goes, because they, they, they will, every single morning, as soon as the crack of dawn, they will, what do they call it? When it the, the, what is it? Crow? Yeah, they'll crow or, you know, they'll make this loud noise. And, and I didn't have any idea why until I, I saw this. I said, why did you, why did the rooster crow, Lord? Why didn't he say when the bell rings or the thunder happens or whatever? But it's interesting that a, you guys probably know this, but a rooster crows to protect and alert the hens. And so when the lights are, when the, when the sun's coming up, the rooster goes out and, start, and has different tones and crow volume according to what's going on. So if it's just time to wake up, it's a certain tone. Okay, if, it's, <clears throat> if, you're, if, if the rooster sees something unusual, it's a different tone. But when there's danger, the rooster crows 
in a very unique way. And I believe nothing is in the scripture by accident. When the rooster sees the wolf, the dog, whatever it is that's going to come and get into the hen house, and Jesus often refers to himself in, in, um, he, he says, like a, like, a, like a hen gathers its chicks under her wings, Jerusalem. That's what I would like to do to you. I'm paraphrasing. That's why I came here, but you wouldn't want to do that. And that's a picture of a fire. So if that barn catches on fire, that, root, that, that hen takes all, the, all of the uh, chicks and puts it and protects it under its wings. He was referring to the burning of Jerusalem in AD 70, the, judge, the ultimate judgment on the city. But so he tells about this rooster crowing, alerting. Now, I don't know why Peter denied Jesus. Peter was tough, as we know. He seemed like a tough guy. He probably wasn't a push, somebody you could just push around. Um, Maybe he was scared because he just chopped off the ear and thought maybe he would get a lot. Now, he's a criminal because he could go before the council. But then I remember Jesus saying in in Matthew 26, Jesus said to them, you will all, all fall away of me because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets will be fulfilled. Then all of the disciples left him. So my point is, it wasn't just Peter that denied Jesus. It wasn't just Judas that denied and betrayed Jesus. It was all, all. And I believe that includes you and I, especially before we come to know who Christ is. The most terrifying sin of all is denying Jesus Christ. Terrifying. Peter committed this sin. Listen to this verse, Matthew 10, 32 to 33. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before people, I will confess before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before people, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. This is what Peter did. Peter violated this. Peter was there when Jesus said this. Peter knew that if I deny Jesus, I am giving up my salvation. That's what he's thinking. I am giving up. I am giving up that conversation that will happen when Jesus looks at me in front of the Father and goes, no, or yes. I'm giving up that yes. That's what Peter thought. I am denying Jesus Christ. How do we deny Jesus? When somebody comes up and starts talking about Jesus, what do you do? When somebody says Jesus as a curse word with all the other curse words before it that we've heard and know and maybe and probably all have said before we knew who Christ was. We don't say, do we stop and correct them? Do we say, hey, do you, do you know what it is that you're doing? How about you? Are you saying you're a Christian? Are you saying that you are, am I offending you? You got religion? Mr. Holy Man, doesn't that stink? I, I don't like being called that. 
But you see, Peter said to himself, you know what, I, I'm, I, there's no way I'm going to suffer this shame. There's no way I'm going to, I, could get, I can get arrested. You know, I, I just chopped an ear off. So I'm going to, I'm gonna, like the Jews, you know, we'll, we'll get to this later. I'll, I'll make up for it later. No, never, ever, ever, before I tell you the next part, deny Christ. Never. But the grace that Jesus shows, as we know, Peter did a little bit differently than the others. He did a little bit differently than Judas. Who are you? Are you a Judas? Or are you a Peter? Don't think that they're different. They're only different in in one or two ways. They're not necessarily different. I mean, you could say, well, Satan entered into Judas. Yes, he did. I don't, I don't necessarily know if Satan entered into Peter. It doesn't say that in the scripture, so we shouldn't say that. But he's definitely doing the work of Satan here. He's denying Jesus. But you see, what's the big difference? You see, Judas, he wept. The Bible also says that Peter wept bitterly with grief after he denied Jesus and heard that rooster crow. He he, he just broke down. Judas just broke down. I I give Judas credit. He goes, he cried. He ran back to the the people that, that that he made a deal with and said, I betrayed the wrong guy. I betrayed an innocent man. Take the money back. Yo, all right, Judas. But then the very next verse, he hung himself. You see, when you deny Christ, I want you to know something. I want you to know a, few, a, a couple of things. When we look, especially when we look at Judas and Peter. I love Luke twenty two sixty one. 61. It says that the Lord looked at Peter when the rooster crowed. He looked at him. He didn't go, told you. Peter Peter saw Jesus do all sorts of miracles, all sorts of prophecies. No, the word looked here is, is, is the same word when Jesus says, you know, behold the birds of the air. Your heavenly father knows every single one of them that falls and he knows every single hair on your head. So he's saying when this word look is almost like um, uh, used in the sense of an object lesson of faith. Because you remember what happened? What, what happened uh, in, in, in whose account was it? He said, Luke 22, he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have been converted or when you turn back, not like Judas, strengthen your brothers. Peter, what are you talking about? Lord, I'll never betray you. I'll die with you, right? He prayed for the one that was going to betray him and deny him. He looked and he beheld him with love. He beheld him with compassion. 
Peter thought, must have thought back, yes, Satan wanted to sift me like wheat. He tried, but Peter's faith, because of Jesus' prayer, is, is what kept him from going to that tree. <clears throat> you can't do it without Christ, guys. We can't. We can't be faithful witnesses without Christ. He prays for us to have faith, to get through it. He beholds us and looks at us when we deny him. Don't run away. Weep bitterly, but run to him. Don't go and hang yourself. Know that Jesus will also, after you've betrayed him and after you deny him, when you are his, he will, he will reach out to you. He will come to you. He will speak to your heart through the word of God, maybe through others. See, God uses people to speak. When somebody comes to you that's your brother and sister or sister in the Lord, listen to them. God could be using them in a powerful way. Listen. Mark 16, 5 to 7. You know, we don't hear about Peter after this much. We don't, we don't get a lot of commentary on what he was doing or where he was at after he betrayed Jesus. We just know he was grieved. <clears throat> but Mark 16, 5 to 7, as Jesus, after Jesus rose from the dead, listen to this. They saw a young man sitting, at, uh, sitting on the right in the tomb wearing a white robe, and they were amazed, the people that were there. But he said to them, don't be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See, here is the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So, so Jesus says, okay, listen, Mr. Angel, you're up. This is what you're, you know, you were, cre- you were created for. This is your time to shine. You're going to be written in the scriptures. You're going to be go down in history as the angel that was sitting in the tomb. So go for it. Oh, and by the way, tell the disciples I'll meet him in Galilee. And by the way, make sure Peter knows especially to go there. See, he reaches out through others. Because he loves us, he cares for us. He wants us to know that forgiveness is always there. As long as that forgiveness there is coupled with that changed heart, that repentance, which that's really the only way it is there. It has, your heart has to be changed. You're not going to fool God and just say, yeah, God, I'm sorry that that happened. <clears throat> okay, I said it. No, that, it has to be a change. He will come after you. Never under any circumstances, obviously, do we ever deny Jesus. But no, he will reach out to you through people. He will pray for you, for your faith to be strong. And he wants you to know that the way that don't punish yourself. Don't be like Judas. Go hang yourself when you've made a mistake. When you've denied Christ in your life, whether you're in some sort of sin or you've done something dumb, dumb or whatever the case may be, know that he's there for you. I want to end with this. <clears throat> it's a, a nice little appendix to the, uh, 
Gospel of John. This is where we hear from Peter again. After Jesus rose from the dead, Peter and the boys are out fishing. They see Jesus over on the beach. They didn't know it was him at first. What's he doing? He's chowing down. He's eating fish. He's probably having a drink. He's sitting there with them and he's like, hey guys, cast over there. Wait a minute, that's the Lord. What does Peter do? Throws off his his towel and dives in and swims over to him. And they have this amazing conversation, which I believe reveals the secret to all this. Jesus asks him, do you love me three times? When we get to that chapter, we'll break that down a little bit more, but he uses three different words for love, phileo love and agape love. But Peter's ask, uh, he's asking Peter, if you love me, do this, tend my lambs. If you love me, shepherd my sheep. If you love me, tend my sheep. <clears throat> and then he says, truly, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to put on your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will put your belt on you and bring you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate what kind of death he would glorify God, what he would glorify God with. And then after he said this, after he did all this to the person that denied him, that wept bitterly, that he prayed for, here's how he sums it up and ends it all. He says, follow me. Follow me. What does that mean? Peter says, well, Lord, I did. I followed you into the court of the Jews. Remember, I was following you in there. Nope, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean physically follow him. It means to walk as he walked, to trust in him, to know that he will and cannot ever deny you. And that's the word I want to leave you with today. No, he will never deny you if you are his. If you're not his, become his. Do we know why? Do we, can we come to God on our own? No, we're dead in our sin. <clears throat> You're dead in your sin. No, there are none that seek God. We're children of wrath by nature. But guess what? His Holy Spirit, before time began, had a purpose, and that was to come and make you alive. And when you are alive and made alive by God, it's usually, well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So today you're here. Hearing the word of God. That's why I can say to you, come to Christ right now. Because you've heard the gospel. You know that Jesus died for your sins. You know that he took the justice of God on his own back. All the sins of the world, every single person that believes on him. The wrath of God placed upon him in your place. Three days he experienced death. I can't wait to hear about those three days. The battle, whatever went on there, I don't know. But I know the apple cart was... Very upset. And then he rose again, according to the scriptures. The whole Bible points to this event. And now he's sitting as king over all of creation. And he's telling you, follow me. Don't ask me how. Don't ask me how you're going to get over this or how you're going to get over that or what your friends are going to say or what your family may say to you what your husband may say, what your wife may say, what your kids might say, but Pat, you don't know the life I live. They'll think I'm a hypocrite. No, I don't. I don't. I'm telling you, Jesus will come into your life and he will make you a new creature. And your sins that you've committed, 
every sin you've ever committed goes down at the cross. It goes all the way back from as far as the east is from the west. Sin's gone. Never again to be, you can't be tried ever on your sins. There is no trial for you in Christ. However, without Christ, it is a trial. You will experience what Jesus did. Not exactly, but what he did. You will stand before the holy, righteous God of the universe and like a dry leaf in front of a blast furnace, it has no, it has no chance to be in. It's not because God is going to burst you out. No, he's so holy. But when you're covered in Christ, you can not only come and enter in, but you become, he becomes inside of you. He lives in you. It's the most amazing, awesome, incredible news ever. Jesus died for your sins. What are you going to do with that? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> we are, we are, we're here right now, Lord. I'm not even sure what to pray, God. I just pray that hearts would be changed. I pray, Father, that you would begin here, Lord, right at this pulpit. I, I pray, Father, for every ear that hears this, whether online or in person, whenever, that your Holy Spirit open their eyes up to Christ, to the freedom in Christ, to the love of Christ. And, and Father, your love, we thank you so much for sending Jesus. Help us follow him, Lord. Not with panic and not with worry and not with anxiety, but with a trust, Lord, that, that really transcends all understanding. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So worship team, come on up. And uh, if you're able, I'll, I'll invite you to stand as we sing this last song. Let's sing. There is a higher throne.